What does it mean to live in the moment? How can I plan for tomorrow when I'm living one day at a time? How do I learn from past experiences if I don't look back? Welcome to episode 106 of The Recovery Show. We're going to talk about living in the moment. This episode is brought to you by Harriet. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Harriet, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand, as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of in the moment. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your solo host today. I have a reading from Hope for Today. These are from pages 127 and 129. Due to my distorted thinking, I made some regrettable choices in my life. I also held on to anger about being raised by unavailable alcoholic parents. I was jealous of people who had normal parents who loved and supported them. I relived past circumstances and imagined alternative outcomes, thinking, if only I had... I wasted large portions of my day, lost in daydreams, rewriting the past with happy endings, and doling out justice to those who had caused me harm. It hasn't been easy to let go of my remorse over yesterday. However, when I strive to do so, I can live in the present and create a new set of yesterdays full of good feelings and happy memories. In the past, my plan referred to my entire life, especially the future. It was a broad view in which I became the sum total of my achievements, viewed from a godlike distance. Over time, my plan has shifted from the accomplishments of a lifetime to adjusting my attitude one day at a time. Instead of considering what I would do with my future, I now choose what I can do in the present. Instead of dreaming about tomorrow, I fashion it with the choices I make today. And I chose those readings because they sort of bracket the the two directions from this moment. One, One is about the past, about maybe regretting the past, about wanting the past to, to have been different, and coming to a realization that if I live my life fully today, then Pretty soon, my past will include those days, and, and I'll have good good times I can also look back to. And then the other one is about looking to the future and about how uh, I might spend a whole lot of time thinking about the future and not be actually working to create um, a better future for myself today. How, how do I, or how did I live not in the moment? We're going to talk about living in the moment, but look back a little bit and actually, uh, you know, still today sometimes, definitely, how I don't live in the moment. And when I'm not living in the moment, I'm maybe feeling anger and resentment about the past. And so, you know, I need to look at that. When I'm feeling resentful over a person or a situation, I'm probably not spending time right now. I'm spending time in the past, I'm spending time thinking about something that already happened and perhaps wishing that it, it could have been different. And there's a saying that that uh, I've heard and that I certainly have repeated um, a number of times about forgiveness. And for me, forgiveness is 
a way of letting go of resentments. If I can be forgiving of the person or the situation uh, about which I'm resentful, if I can accept that uh, it is what it is, then I can then I can let go of it, and it doesn't continue to eat into my time today. Doesn't continue to take time and energy uh, that might be better spent, uh, you know, dealing with with what's happening right now, or it might be taking me away from something good that's happening right now because I just can't let go of thinking about this thing that happened in the past, and I don't notice the things that are happening now. Anyway, the saying, the saying is that. Forgiveness is letting go of the hope for a better yesterday. And when when I hear that, and when I think about, well, I can't change yesterday, I can't make yesterday's better, and I can, but if I continue to hope that, or wish that, I think wish is a better word here, if I continue to wish that yesterday was different, um, again, I, I take myself away from, from now. Uh, I take myself away from places where I actually and time where I actually can do something about it. I can spend also a lot of time just sort of chewing over things that happened in the past, uh, particularly things that that I did. And maybe this is self-resentment, I'm not sure, that I did something that I regret, I did something that I feel shameful about, uh, I did something that caused an outcome that I'm, I'm not really, really not happy about, uh, and thinking about, oh, if, as the reading said, if only, if only I had, uh, reminds me of a episode of Sex in the City. It was titled Shoulda, Coulda, Woulda. And when I get into the shoulda, coulda, woulda, uh, I know that it's not productive. It doesn't, it doesn't get me anywhere to, to think, well, I could have done that. I should have done that. If I, if I would have done that, then everything would have turned out differently. It would have been, uh, you know, my life today would be great. And that's probably not true. Just thinking. And even if it is, uh, you know, I can't change that, but I can, I can take what happened in the past and I can learn from it. And I can say to myself, you know, that really didn't work. Uh, maybe I need some help learning a new way to do things. And, and that's part of the steps. We have those steps uh, six and seven about uh, becoming ready to have my defects of character removed and, and asking my higher power to remove my shortcomings. And those are, those are in the program for that reason, that I can have learned from my inventory and say, yeah, I want to change that. Please, please help me change that. Help me find a new way to act. Have me, help me find a new way to be. Looking at the past and saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that again. Um, can be a good thing. But just spending time thinking about, well, why did I do that? Oh, if I had only not, et cetera, is, is totally unproductive. And it's something that if I can catch myself doing it and say, oh, okay, not productive here, not getting anywhere, let's, uh, let's move on, then I can, I can, I can maybe find a way to, to change. The other place that I can totally be that is not right now is the future. And the emotions, the feelings that, that for me go with living in the future are often fear and worry. 
If I'm angry, I'm living in the past. If I'm fearful, I'm probably living in the future. I'm looking forward to something that might happen that I won't like. And I'm, I'm worrying about, well, what if that happens? Oh, no. Uh, and to the extent of uh, a word that, that we've also used, uh, friends of mine have used, and, and I've used certainly sharing in meetings, uh, of awfulizing or catastrophizing, taking taking a situation that I'm in that is not good in some way, uh, you know, taking, looking at, at uh, my debt level, for example, which is much higher than I would like it to be. Uh, and I know that it was my actions that, that got me there. And I can make actions to make it better. I can make action, I can take actions to work on reducing my debt. Or I can just spend time worrying about how much there is and what's going to happen if and are we really ever going to have enough money to, to totally pay this stuff off or are we going to at some point, we're just going to have so much debt that that we're going to have to, like our house is going to get foreclosed, we're going to end up living in our car under a bridge or whatever. And that is a place that, that my mind can very easily go, particularly in those wee hours of the morning. If I, if I go to bed worrying, then I wake up in the middle of the night worrying. I've probably been dreaming about it. And, and I can just go to this horrible place where it's totally hopeless. There's no way out. Uh, and, and life is just going to be a wreck. And I'll tell you what, I went that place a lot of times uh, during the the years of really active alcoholic drinking in our house. I was sure, I was sure that we were going to lose our home, that we were going to be living in a car, uh, or or worse, and you know, that was just inevitable. And I didn't, I spent so much time worrying about it that I didn't have energy left to try to make changes uh, that maybe would totally prevent that from happening. And the other thing is that usually the time when I would be worrying about it, it would be a time when I actually was not able to do anything because it's the middle of the night, you know, banks aren't open, whatever. Um, I'm lying in bed. I don't even really know, you know, what the truth is. Uh, I'm, I'm just making it up in my head based on what I think I know, I don't get up and go, go, you know, look at, look at the bills, look at the bank account, et cetera, and say, well, what's, what's real here. And that's another part about this worrying and worrying into the future is it is so often for me based on fear and fear is based on not necessarily reality. Uh, and you may have heard the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real, and so there's something that I see, there's something that I take as real, and then I usually make up some stuff that's even worse than what I see, because I know that's where it's going to go. I quote, know that's where it's going to go, but it's really false. But my brain makes it seem real, and then and then I uh, try to act on that or don't act on that. I just worry, 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 worry. So these are these are ways in which I don't live in the present these are ways in which I live in the past or the future, and, and it takes time and energy away from me actually doing something productive. 
what are some aspects of of living in the moment and one of the uh, another sort of slogan might even be a slogan i don't know sounds like a slogan is do the next right thing uh, i guess that comes from the slogan first things first okay maybe yeah that's a, that's actually a slogan in the book i don't know about do the next right thing but when i'm facing a situation that seems insurmountable a situation where i can totally give into fear and worry and and do that living in the future not doing anything just being afraid uh, i can take that and i and i can say what is one thing that i could do right now what is the next thing i can do and i can do that thing and once i do that thing then it's a little easier to let go because i have made a step i have made a step forward uh, you know thinking about debt uh maybe the one thing i can do is to find some expenses that i have that i don't need to be spending money so for example uh in the past in the not too distant past i would go out for lunch pretty much every day from work and i had good reasons for that like i needed to get out of the office for a little while etc cetera, etc cetera. um but you know that costs money um usually minimum of 10 bucks a day and that adds up after a while 250 work days times 10 bucks i mean that's $2500 in a year that's a, that's a fair amount of money that could go to uh reducing debt or could go to expenses that we actually um you know need to need to pay and so a simple thing i can do is to have good food at home that i can put together quickly and take to work for lunch because one of the excuses for for eating out is well i didn't have time to prepare anything or there was nothing good i'm i don't want to make another peanut butter sandwich uh, you know i don't want to eat peanut butter sandwiches for lunch every day i might eat a peanut butter sandwich occasionally but not every day and and so i can do a step i can and and that's not going to fix the debt situation but it is going to reduce the amount of money i spend which in the long run will help and and then i can say well what's the next thing i can do and what's the next thing i can do and so being able to just look at the thing i can do now do it gives me some relief helps me to to let go of the worry because I, because i have done something when i'm worrying when i'm thinking about you know what comes next and this can be as as short as what comes next in a conversation like what is the next thing i'm going to say i'm in a meeting and and somebody's talking and i'm thinking about what i'm going to say and i'm missing what they're saying so when i'm in the moment i'm listening i'm paying attention to what's happening around me if i'm in a meeting i'm listening to what the person who's talking now is saying and understanding what they're saying so that when it's my turn to talk i am not talking from a place of ignorance i'm not talking from a place of not maybe understanding their concern or of not uh, having not having heard what they said uh, i might then say something that is totally opposite thinking that we're in agreement because i wasn't paying attention this is a huge problem for me actually Um, I uh, I recently picked up a book called The Zen of Listening I think I'll, I'll put a link uh, and I'm only partway into it but the uh, 
the premise of the book, and I'm in the part where it's talking about the problems, and, and I'm totally recognizing the problems, like, oh, I do that, oh, I do that, oh, I do that. I am often thinking about what I'm going to say next. I'm often prejudging the person who's talking. I, quote, know what they're going to say, and so I sort of tune out what they're actually saying. And then I either have to go from that position of, well, I knew what they were going to say, so I'm going to address what I'm pretty sure they said rather than what they actually said. Or I have to say, you know what? Um, I'm sorry. I missed that. Could you say that again, please? And neither of those is, is a good place to be. So anyway, so the book is pointing out these, these things right now. And, and the premise of the book in the chapters that I haven't got to yet is in part that just learning to be mindful can significantly improve my listening skills. And by improving my listening skills, it'll improve my ability to interact with the people I need to interact with. Um, and, and so, like, as I said, so far I'm, I'm already recognizing things that I do. And so the first part of that is going to be becoming aware of these things as I'm doing them. I was practicing that in the Elena meeting last night where Somebody would be sharing, and my mind would go wandering off onto some tangent, uh, something that maybe I'm thinking about something that happened in the past. Maybe I'm thinking about, oh, what am I going to have for lunch tomorrow? Uh, maybe something they said triggered uh, an old shameful uh, episode in my life, and and I'm revisiting that and daydreaming about how I could have done it better. And I miss what they say. And... You know, I might miss something that's really important for me to hear when I miss when it when I do that. And so I was I could become aware last night and it's sort of like doing mindfulness meditation where in in that practice I sort of watch the thoughts go by but don't engage them and in this case I'm sort of noticing my behavior and and not really engaging the behavior but trying to pull myself back to center, pull myself back to the listening attitude, uh, say, okay, okay, there's a thought, let, let's let go of it and pay attention to what's happening right here, right now. So being fully present is, is huge. Uh, you know, think about driving, how much it, most of us, most of us drive, you, you probably drive. Hopefully if you're driving right now and listening to me, you're also paying attention to the road because have you ever had that experience that I, I've certainly had this experience of I get in the car to go somewhere and when I get there, I have no memory of what happened in between. I was, I was really not paying attention and most of the time that works fine. And then there's the times when I'm sort of not paying attention and all of a sudden something happens and I have to swerve or slam on the brake or whatever it is, or just uh, that because I was not paying Often, because I was not really paying attention to what was going on around me, I am startled by something another driver does and potentially overreact to that and get that adrenaline and and everything. And, and maybe I didn't need to do that. Maybe if I'm fully present in the driving, uh, I, will, I will pick up these cues and I won't be so, so surprised when something happens. Uh, some somebody does something uh, unexpected. So let's see. Another aspect of of being present is being present and noticing the good stuff. Noticing, uh, 
as uh, as somebody put it in a in a meeting the other day of noticing the beauty around me at the time maybe noticing uh, flowers or noticing the beauty of the snow we were actually uh, sitting in I was sitting in a meeting yesterday morning and it was snowing outside with with gusts of wind and so looking out the window and I could look out the window in one attitude and say oh, it's snowing I'm going to have to shovel and the roads are horrible or i could say you know i'm sitting in a nice warm room right now and looking out and it's really pretty watching the snow swirling around and the flakes sort of drifting down and the flakes near the window are drifting in one direction and the flakes further away from the window are drifting in another direction and then here comes a gust of wind and they all whirl off to the to the left and and noticing how they settle onto the branches of the pine trees and so on and and i can appreciate the beauty of the moment because I'm in the moment when I'm worrying about driving, when I'm worrying about shoveling, uh, when I'm perhaps uh, resentful that I had to shovel before I could actually get my car out of the driveway to go to the meeting or whatever it was, I'm not in the moment and I'm not in, I'm not able to appreciate what is actually there. And I actually wanted to, uh, to read a little quote from, uh, I picked up a new book by Anne Lamott, and I love Anne Lamott. Uh, she's one of the, my sort of go-to spiritual writers. And this book's called Stitches, subtitled A Handbook on Meaning, Hope, and Repair. And And I just happened on this paragraph last night about being open to the beauty of the world, being open to the little things, and and bringing them in and enjoying them in the moment. She writes, So I pay attention to almost every Oregon junco I see on my hikes, these most ordinary tiny gray birds, the males with black heads, they weigh only an ounce, even with all those bones and feathers, all those birdie insides, feet and beaks. They hop around on the ground near trees in forests on lawns. When I watch and listen, they make me laugh, and this fills me with hope. And and I have seen those birds actually get them in in my backyard underneath the feeder because they are ground feeders and they they're little gray birds, nothing real special about them, but they're you know I can watch them and and they're hopping around on the ground and it's minus ten degrees outside and they're getting their food and living their life and being in the moment and I can be right there in the moment with them. Uh, somebody at the at the meeting yesterday and it was it was my Saturday morning meeting that really uh, inspired me to this topic because we were talking about step 11 and so many people talked about meditation and about meditation as being in the moment. Some people talked about uh, walking as meditation, about looking out and seeing a cardinal at the bird feeder. Uh, and and just it really brought back to me the, the importance of to my spiritual health, the importance to my serenity of being able to, to live in the moment. Another aspect of living in the moment, and I have used this consciously uh, many times since I came into Al-Anon, and I've used it during the times when when my loved one was still drinking, and I've used it for other situations since then, is of enjoying the good that is happening right now. And I think I spoke a little bit about this earlier. So I think the example that I've used many times uh, is, mm, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe more than 10 years ago now, 
my parents were going to move out of the house that I grew up in, the house that they had lived in for almost 50 years. Is that right? Yeah. And we were going to have one last Christmas at their house, the whole family. And that just started to bring up all kinds of expectations about, well, we always used to do, we always used to make Christmas cookies and ice them. And we always used to do, you know, things with the tree. And we always used to do this. And we always used to do that. And of course, when I was young, when I was a child, we had a whole month more or less to of afternoons and weekends to, to, to do these things in going to my parents' house for might've been as many as five days for the Christmas holidays. Obviously we are not going to have time to do all these things. We are probably not going to have the energy to do all these things. And some of the things that I want to do, the rest of the family is not going to do and vice versa. And, and I recognized this, that this could be a problem. Hey, so I told myself before we went, and this was a time when, when my wife was still drinking, my children were teenagers. So there was a lot of potential for, for expectations gone wrong, shall we say. So I told myself to just not hold expectations about what would happen, about what wouldn't happen, and to just enjoy what did happen. And yeah, we didn't do all the things that I might have wanted us to do. And yeah, not all of the things that I wanted to happen happened. And yeah, some things happened that I didn't want to have happen. But in every day and probably in every hour of every day, there were there was good and there was joy and there was happiness. And sometimes there was anger and sometimes there was sadness. But if I allowed myself to focus on unmet expectations, if I allowed myself to focus on whether or not my wife was drinking, if I allowed myself to focus on how my kids were acting out, if I allowed myself to focus on the things that weren't happening, I would miss the things that were happening. And and by being in the moment, by accepting what came, by enjoying the good parts, and by letting go of the not-so-good parts after they were over, I think that was one of the best Christmas holidays that I'd had in a, in a very, very long time. And it was all about attitude and it was all about staying in the moment. So if I'm, again, if I'm worrying, if I'm chewing over the past, I'm going to miss the stuff that's happening right now. I'm going to miss the beautiful sunset. I'm going to miss the flash of red as the cardinal comes to the bird feeder. And I'm going to miss these things. I'm going to miss the the bear crossing sign at the side of the road as I'm driving through southern New York State. Only one I've ever seen, you know, like a deer crossing sign, yellow diamond with a picture of silhouette of a bear. I'm like, really? Um, so, uh, you know, if I'm not paying attention, if I'm not in the moment, I miss these things. How do I practice living in the moment? How do I practice this? What are the things that I do? And, and, and I have a little list here, so we'll go through the list. Uh, the first thing on my list is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And that goes right along with this. Notice the good. Be, be grateful for the good things that happened. But I can't notice the good if I'm not there. If I'm off in the past or off in the future or just off in some, some daydream of something who knows what, I'm going to miss stuff. I'm going to miss stuff that I can be grateful for. Uh, so, 
it sort of goes two ways. When I practice an attitude of gratitude, when I notice the good things, when I notice that even though it's 10 below outside, it's bright and sunny. When I notice that there's a cardinal at the bird feeder, I can be grateful for these things. When I notice that um, one of my kids didn't do that annoying thing today, I can be grateful for that. But I have to notice in order to be grateful. And if I'm grateful, then I'm more likely to notice. It's kind of an interesting synergy there. I can focus on what's happening now. I can keep myself in the moment. I can watch watch myself and not watch in the sense of sort of keeping an eye on, of supervising, but just watch in the sense of watch. Like, when does my mind wander? Is my mind wandering right now? Okay, well, let's, um, let's see if we can bring that back. So just being, again, being aware, being aware of what's going on in my mind and what's going on in the surroundings and, and consciously, a lot of this is about intention. A lot of this is about paying attention that I spend a lot of my life, not really paying attention to what I'm doing, to how I'm feeling, to what I'm thinking. And when I can pay attention, then it's easier for me to be now rather than, than back then or what if, when I'm listening, listen again, it, it, I'm working through this book and and will be it'll be interesting for me to see how how that changes the way I listen but just the reminder to pay attention to what the other person's saying instead of focusing on my own agenda uh, you know I often say I like to share early in meetings because then I can let go of this time of thinking about what am I going to say uh, sometimes I tell myself I'm not going to talk and that helps me to keep from keep from spending my time thinking about what I'm going to say um, rather than listening to what other people are saying. And then somebody will say something that just really strikes me and I'm like, oh, you know, and, and then I'm ready to share because I was paying attention and I can build on or I can share my own experience of what somebody else said. The other half of that is once I've spoken – than letting go of that sort of obsessive need to, oh, I should have said, and I could have said, and why didn't I say, and and then I miss, again, what the other people are saying, and so often I've had the experience of maybe I had planned to say something in a share, and then when I got going and kind of stream of consciousness, then I didn't say it, and somebody else says it. And yeah, I wanted to say it. I wanted to be the person who said that awesome thing. Okay? That's a feeling. Uh, it's it's not necessarily a feeling that I'm really proud about, but it's a feeling, and and it, you know, but it doesn't have to be me. I don't have to have all the wisdom in the world. I don't have all the wisdom in the world, and so it's really great that that other people do uh, and can say those things. That well, I forgot to say it, or I didn't think to say it, or wow, they said it a lot better than I could have said it. So, you know, I'm glad I didn't say it. Uh, so. Paying attention, listening. A big thing, and a thing that I still, I still struggle finding time for, putting aside time in my day for. I, you know, that's the thing. If I try to find time to fit in these things, 
it's not going to happen because I won't find the time. I'll keep myself busy. But putting aside time in my day for meditation, and in particular, this mindfulness meditation of being conscious of what's happening to my body, what's happening around me, what's happening in my mind, being conscious of it, but not following it. Um, you know, there's this, there's this idea that when you meditate, you have to empty your mind. And that is certainly not something, and maybe some people can do that. Maybe some people can just have a totally blank slate mind. That's not me. I have all the time thoughts running through my head. But what I can choose to do, what I can practice, is not following them, is not grabbing onto them and chewing on them. I can practice letting them go by and letting go of them and and then letting the next thought come and letting it go by and letting go of it. And, and one time when I was uh, in a group meditation, somebody talked about we were in a we were in a building that was near a busy street and you could hear the cars going by, by outside and and one person said so i would take this thought that was in my head and i would put it on the car that was going by so that it would go away and i could watch it go away and i thought wow that's that's a really cool image and uh, you know it's a neat thought that yeah okay here's this thing and here's this thing this car going by and I'm going to take the thought and I'm going to put it on that car and it's going to go away rather than engaging with the thought rather than, in, rather than, and also like quiet. Does it, what is quiet? What is silence? Uh, we need, we need, we think we need silence to meditate. My minister defines silence when we, as, as in let's have a few moments of silence in, in the church service as the absence of adult talking. So silence includes those rustles as somebody shifts to be a little more comfortable in their chair. Silence includes the cough that we can't suppress and, and we shouldn't suppress. Silence includes the baby babbling. Those are, those are all silence. Those are all natural sounds in the environment that we can just accept. Maybe we can hear some birds singing outside or some crickets buzzing or the heating coming on or traffic going by. And to me, the practice of mindful meditation is in being aware of what's happening, but not engaging with it, not getting annoyed that somebody's coughing. You're breaking my silence by coughing. Well, that is me. That is all me. I'm saying, oh, I am distracted by this. This is taking me away from the, the place that I want to be. And, and that's just me. That's my brain. So instead of just letting it go by, I grab it and I try to wrestle it to the ground and I, and, and I put value on it, I put negative value on it. That's part of, for me, learning to be in the moment is to not grab onto those things that that I don't need to. And whether it's somebody coughing or whether it's one of those things from my past that 
I wish hadn't happened or whether it's something that I'm afraid is going to happen in the, in the future, the letting go is the same. So if I can let go of that cough, if I can let go of that rustle, if I can let go of the, the door slamming in the distance, if I can let go of the really noisy truck going by, then maybe I can let go of worrying about how we're going to pay the bills tomorrow. I can let go of feeling shameful for a thing I did 30 years ago. So this practice, this practice of mindfulness is really helpful for me to the to living in the moment and to being present in the moment. So a little bit of a of a side topic, but this is something that that I've found recently that when something is happening, and, and in particular, this is, I think, about mostly about interaction with other people. This happened last Friday. So I was really focused on a problem. I was frustrated by the problem because it wasn't going the way I wanted it to do, or I hadn't figured out exactly how to deal with it. And somebody came over to my desk with, with a question, sort of an extension of a conversation we'd been having. Okay, so here's the next step, and I'm not understanding this, and and I need... Uh, you know, I need some assistance understanding it. And granted, you know, they were interrupting my work. The fact that I was angry and resentful at them interrupting me, which was part of my job to answer these questions, was on me because I I was not in the moment. Okay. Um, in consequence, when I was talking to this other person, I was tense. I was still having that anger and frustration underlying it. I was very, very abrupt with them. Uh, and at one point, and I heard this afterwards, a coworker said, he said, I was considering throwing a flag. And this is a, a reference to American football where somebody does something against the rules, they throw a flag and they get a penalty. Um, and I guess that happens, you know, maybe that happens in, in, Soccer, uh, you know, the rest of the world's football as well. I mean, they throw a card or they hold up a card or whatever it is. And and I realized what had happened in that interaction and that I had not been my best person. And so I took my 10th step and I went and I apologized for for my abruptness in, in answering the question. I guess what I wanted to think about here is is a way of being in the moment with other people and in terms of how I hold myself, how I speak, um, how that reflects what's the fact that I'm not fully present with them, that I'm still in often some other problem and, and that I can consciously put my body into an accepting position. I can turn towards them. I can look at them. I can have an open stance instead of, sort of slouching in my chair with my arms crossed and, and turning my head a little bit so that they're in the corner of my eye and saying, yeah, what? Okay, and think about, I turn, I look, I say, how can I help you? How does the other person feel? How does the interaction go when I do that? How do I feel when I do that? If I act as if I'm welcoming, I also feel welcoming. If I smile, it actually makes me feel happier. Loosely connected here, very loosely connected here. I was listening recently to an episode 
of in, a new podcast, Invisibilia, which is about, as they put it, the invisible forces that shape our lives. And this this episode was also played as an episode of This American Life titled Batman. And I think the Invisibility X episode was titled something like Becoming Batman. And I'll let you listen to it to understand why they called it that. But the the premise that they opened with was that our expectations of how other people are going to perform actually affects how they perform. And talked about a really interesting rat experiment where it was rats running mazes or whatever, right? And But they had people you know, come in and put the rat in the maze and watch it run the maze and whatever and record how it did. And one group of people, they, they told them that the rat was really stupid. And the other group of people, they told them the rat was like really clever and, and, and smart. Same rat. Okay. Same rat, same maze. The only difference is these people were told the rat is stupid. These people were told the rat is smart. The people who were told the rat is smart, their rats did the maze better than the people who were told the rat was stupid. And the only difference, according to the the people who, who did the experiment, was the attitude of the person handling the rat, putting the rat in the maze. And that what they figured was that there were certain subtle cues, like if the rat stupid, people were more likely to handle it roughly than if the rat they told they were told the rat was smart. And that those people's expectations of the rat's behavior actually affected the rat's behavior. Even though there was no way they could talk to the rat, no way they, you know, I mean, you could tell, hey, rat, you're really stupid. Well, what does the rat know? The rat doesn't know. But the rat apparently picked up on these various cues and did not perform as well. Um, and so if I bring that into my day-to-day interaction with other people and about being, again, being in the moment with them and deliberately putting myself in, you know, in a body position, in um, an attitude of this person, you know, maybe this person is good at what they do and they're not maybe good at what I do, but that's, you know, that's the that's the beauty of of having multiple people in a workplace is, is we're all good at something and we're all better at something than somebody else and if i just if i have this attitude that well this other person is is hopeless because they can't do the things i do even though they do very well at the things they do um my interactions with them are going to be um well they're going to be less pleasant but i may in fact also contribute to them not doing as good a job. And this is something that is kind of weird for me. Uh, and it, and it comes from me prejudging, which is not being in the moment, me having expectations or resentments or just like for some reason. And I've talked about the people at work who rub me the wrong way for whatever reason. And maybe it's because they're like me in some way, or maybe it's something I don't know. Uh, but when I, let those feelings that are not relevant to the work that we're doing interfere with the work that I'm doing because I'm living outside of what's happening right now. Uh, it's, you know, it, it can impede what we actually want to get done and what I want to get done and how I feel about it. So somebody in, in a meeting recently raised this question and, and it's one that I've thought about many times in the past. So if I'm living in the moment, if I'm just living in right now, the only time I have is now. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow hasn't come yet. 
uh, how do I make plans? How do I change things? How do I learn from what happened in the past? Am I supposed to just sort of let it go? Am I supposed to just kind of go with the flow and, and not try to do anything different? Not maybe not try to get a new job because I hate the one I'm in and I'm just, you know, well, if I live in the moment and accept it and it's, you know, it is what it is and then I'll go home tonight and I'll be fine. No. So that's, to me, that's not what living in the moment is about. Um, what living in the moment, and I think I, I touched on this when I talked about do the next right thing, first things first, is it's not about never thinking about the future. It's not about never thinking about what's past, but it's about understanding what I can change, understanding what I can learn, and not spending any more time on those things than I need to. As it has been said, worry is not preparation. So worrying about what might happen does not prepare me for what is going to happen. But the opposite of that is also true. And man, we talked about this in some episode in the past that I don't remember which one it is now. guess you're going to have to go listen to all of them. Uh, we talked about how preparation is not worry. That if I'm actually actively preparing for something that is going to happen, for something that I want to make happen, uh, then that's, that is something that, that can be quite valuable. And that is something that I need to do many times in my life. I need to, I need to make a budget so that I know how much money I have to spend and that I, and that I will have money to pay for the things that I've already committed to pay for my mortgage, food expenses, gasoline expenses, insurance, the electric bill, the uh, water bill, you know, these things that, that I know that I know are going to happen. I don't have to worry about them. I don't have to, well, maybe sometimes I'm going to be worried about, do I, am I going to have the money to pay them? But if I'm worrying about it, I'm not preparing for it. And if I, if I actually sit down and plan and say, well, this is, these are the things I'm going to have to pay money for. And this is when I'm going to have to pay it out. This is how much money I'm coming in. This is when it comes in. How am I going to, what is the plan to make sure that the things that need to get paid, get paid. And then, you know, how much money do I have left over? Um, this is something I don't do a very good job at, but it is, it is, it is, to me, it illustrates the difference between planning and worrying. And that, that sort of planning is a legitimate way of, of being, being in maybe an extended moment, uh, but doing the thing that I need to do, doing the, the next right thing. And once I've done it, then I can let go of it knowing that I did it and that you know, I may have to come back and look at it. Okay. How am I doing? And and the, on the other side, I can spend a lot of time living in the past. I can spend a lot of time uh, thinking about things I did and thinking about ways I could have done them differently and how I didn't do them differently and how how the outcome was horrible. And I'm so ashamed of myself for for doing what I did. And you know that gets me nowhere. But I can also take an inventory. I can also do that fourth step, take a searching and fearless moral inventory, uh, fill in the 90 some odd pages in the blueprint for progress or fill in the, the grid uh, of resentments and fears and so on uh, as suggested in the AA big book or with whatever method that I use, I can take an inventory and I can take an inventory hopefully without putting a lot of value on it with, with just noticing 
writing down those things that I did and those things that happened to me and the feelings, the emotions, the resentments, the anger, the shame that came from those, perhaps I can do my fifth step where I share it with with God, with myself and with another human being and accept that these things happened. And having done that, a lot of the emotional freight that went along with those things that happened, uh, I have found to be lifted. That when I talked about an experience in my life that I had carried shame for 30 years about that experience when I really honestly talked about it with uh, another person in the program, I don't go back there and, and beat myself up about it anymore. It's just amazing. Occasionally I, I, I'm like, remember it and like, yeah, could have been better, but it's, it doesn't have the emotional strength that it used to have. And, and, and I can let go of it. And so we have these tools. We take an inventory, we share that inventory, we list the exact nature of our wrongs, and then we're ready to ask our higher power to have them removed. And this is, this is the process that is recommended to us. And this is a process that lets us live in the present, that lets us let go of what happened in the past, but learn from it and change from it. And uh, so what is, how would, I, how would I wrap this up? How would I wrap this up? What is, you know, one thing that I would say to somebody who's like wondering about how do I do this living in the moment thing? I don't know. <laughs> There's so many things. I think, I think the one thing that that really for me is central to it is knowing when I'm living in the past, knowing when I'm living in the future, and when I'm doing so fruitlessly, when I'm doing so with no nothing productive coming from it, I'm daydreaming or I'm chewing it over. When I'm noticing when I'm doing those things and and bringing myself back to the present and looking around and say, what's happening? right here right now what is what is outside the windows what is uh, what is somebody saying what is the person who's talking right now saying what did i miss oh my wow they're talking about something really interesting i wish i'd heard the first part of that oh well um you know noticing those things and and my experience is when i notice something when i notice a behavior this is the first step towards um having that behavior changed and and being able to practice a new way of doing things. Uh, and and I undoubtedly need help from my higher power for that, but I can start noticing and I can start practicing. I'm going to take a break uh, before I talk about uh, my life in recovery this week. And I had a musical selection picked out, which is Jason Mraz's uh, Living in the Moment. Seems like a really appropriate song for this uh, this episode. And I just want to read a, a couple of lyrics here. It says, I will not waste my days making up all kinds of ways to worry about all the things that will not happen to me. In this next section of the podcast, I want to talk about life and recovery, about what's happening in my meetings and in my life this week. And And I had a couple of couple of meetings that uh, really inspired me, as I said, inspired me to this this podcast. The uh, 
Saturday morning uh, step meeting that I go to, we were talking about step 11 and there was so much there. I just, um, I reflected in, in my share about, uh, we read from paths to recovery and, and towards the end it says, I will pick one, at least one thing and do it. And to me that, that one thing was really important that so often I think about, well, I could do this and I could do this and I could do that and I could do that. And what I know is that if I try to change too many things in my life at once, I end up changing nothing because it's just too much. But if I, if I change, if I pick one thing to focus on for, you know, the next weeks or month, if I pick one practice, one thing to practice, I'm much more likely to actually be able to incorporate it into my life. And so, so that was, but the other, the other thing that happened in that meeting, uh, after, um, I shut up and listened. And again, I, I, I spent some time practicing staying focused on what people were actually saying rather than staring out the window and, and daydreaming and so on. Although I did spend some time staring out the window at the beautiful snow. So many people talked about the ways in which they take joy in the moment, about the ways in which being in the moment, um, you know, feeds them. That uh, I was like, hey, podcast topic, yay. I already know I was going to do a solo episode this, this weekend. Uh, so having, a, having a, a topic given to me like that was awesome. And then uh, meeting last night, the reading, well, the reading was uh, February 15th from Courage to Change. It talked about practicing working the program. We talk about working the program, but it's really about practicing new ways of being and there were there were lots of good lots of good shares around the table about that uh, and again uh, somebody raised this question of you know I'm, i know i'm supposed to not live in the past of of the alcoholic home i grew up in i'm supposed to live in the moment but if i live in the moment does that mean that i i can't change anything does that mean that that i just accept what it is and and it's never going to change and how do i how do i do that and I thought, well, okay, um, gee, I'm already going to talk about living in the moment on the podcast, so that's a good question to to uh, make sure that I talk about. Did not make it to my uh, home group meeting, had a, had a conflict. You know, I've talked about a lot of things that happened in the week that are sort of program-related that uh, recognizing almost immediately after I had been uh, short with a coworker and, and going and making amends right away. Uh, is, you know, it's awesome because... Then I don't have to feel like the next time I see them, like, oh man, last time I saw this person, I like totally snapped at them. It's over. It's done. It's gone. And, and, and I can, you know, having recognized that, maybe I can also recognize the next time they come over to do this thing, turn, face, look, be open, don't scowl, smile. How can I help you? Because, you know, they're going to come ask a question. They've got a legitimate need to talk to me. Um, I can make that experience more pleasant for both of us, and or I can make it less pleasant for both of us. And and if I am open and accepting, actually, we'll probably get whatever it is we're getting done more quickly, and we'll both feel better about it. So, uh, you know, these are things that. Why does it take me? Why does it take me fifty years to uh, almost sixty years to get to the point of of understanding this thing? I don't know, but there I am, and 
my higher, my higher power is helping me change. My higher power is giving me sort of low pressure experiences to say, mm, you're getting there, but a little more work, a little more work. Keep practicing, keep practicing. I think that's about it that I haven't already talked about. So thinking about upcoming topics for the podcast, uh, of caretaking as a, as a topic, parenting and talking about being sort of being the Al-Anon parent in um, a family where your spouse is an alcoholic or maybe one of the siblings, one of the children is alcoholic. I don't know. Uh, and how, how do you talk to your children about what's happening? How do you talk to your children about alcoholism? How do you, how do you protect your children? Um, have, what are things that you have made or might need to make amends to your children about? And how does that feel? Lots of questions, and I'd love to hear from you. I, you know, I have my own experience, but uh, love to hear your experience and and have you share it with with the uh, you know other listeners. So let me know uh, if you have thoughts there. Another another uh, another topic coming up is concept number three, which is the right of decision makes effective leadership possible. And I need to talk to Akila to figure out when we're going to schedule talking about that. And there's some, this right of decision phrase in here is something that I think maybe I know what it means, but I'm definitely going to have to go look it up. And as with all of these tradition and concept episodes, uh, we want to look at how these ideas apply to our lives, our lives, our daily lives, not maybe not so much about how they apply to like the governance of Al-Anon, which is a lot of what the, the concepts are about. They're actually often called the concepts of service. It's about how, how we provide service to the Al-Anon program. Anyway, so that's coming up too. We welcome your thoughts. Please share your experience and join the conversation. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions. And how do you do that? Well, we have a voicemail number. We have a phone number in the United States. It's 734-707-8795. You can call right now because this is a podcast. And if you hit the pause button, I'll still be here when you hit uh, play again. So if you have a thought, just call 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We would love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of living in the moment or any of our upcoming topics. And if you have a topic you'd like to talk about, let us know. And I know a lot of you have, and I'm, I'm trying to bring those topics in. You can find out uh, all the information about the, the show at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We have notes for each episode in um, an occasional blog and links to the music that we talk about during the show links to other recovery podcasts and websites. And you can contribute right there on the website, uh, leave comments uh, on the on the notes for each uh, show, or send an email, uh, suggest a new topic, etc. And if you really want to join the conversation literally, uh, I invite you to be a guest host. We do this by phone or Skype or other electronic means. So wherever you live in the world, you don't have to uh, you know, come to my house to, to record it. We can we can do this. So email feedback at com if you're interested in that. 
going to take a short break again before uh, diving into your uh, email and voicemail contributions. The second musical selection that I picked is by Jay-Z. It's called Young Forever. And, uh, you know, this is a song about really enjoying life as it comes right now. It's, uh, it's somewhat hedonistic, but it's a fun song. And I'll get some lyrics here. We live life like a video and the sun's always out and you never get old. Without a wrinkle in today, because there is no tomorrow, just some picture-perfect day to last a whole lifetime, and it never ends. And every day can have those moments, if we're there to recognize them, to see them, and to appreciate them. Let's check the mailbag. We got an email from Ruth. She says, Hey, Spencer and co-hosts. I want to thank you for all the wonderful episodes you have produced this year already. There were too many new ideas and perspectives I gained to mention now. Life keeps me unexpectedly busy, so I can't write in every time, but I am listening. I want to write in regard to one point, because when I heard it, I was on my way and was just about to click on pause and send you a message right away. I want to participate in the topic in regard to the dry drunk symptom Jennifer was talking about. But then you said you forward this topic to Mark, and I got quite upset that I wouldn't be able to express myself. Stop, I thought. What is happening here with me? When I get this kind of angry feeling, it's a warning signal for me of my low level of serenity. So I proceeded, walking and thinking. First, I recognized that this dry drunk thing is still triggering me, and then I remembered why and how it was. When I came to Al-Anon, my partner wasn't drinking anymore, but didn't attend AA, and our relationship was a mess. He told me that I was an alcoholic and that Al-Anon could maybe help me. So when I came to the rooms of Al-Anon, I didn't have a problem many others had, which is the question, is the one who's drinking troubles really an alcoholic? I have learned that only the person themselves can say if they're an alcoholic or not, and it doesn't matter for me. If I'm troubled, I can belong to Al-Anon. To that time, I still didn't understand why, now, when my alcoholic partner didn't drink anymore, everything wasn't all right, as well as other people around me asking me why things are now just aren't okay. I had no answer. What a relief when I read this paragraph in How Al-Anon Works, where someone else was talking about that dry drunk. Until then, I even had an expression for that. Being able to identify is what gives me much of the relief I find in the rooms. If I needed much more time before that became less important because I could start learning that regardless of the other people or circumstances, I can find serenity and happiness. This seems so obvious for me today, but I can remember the times when I wasn't even able to determine what was inside or outside myself. Today, when I have problems with other people, I work the program to help myself. It doesn't matter if they are alcoholics, addicts, co-worker, untreated Al-Anons, or other normal people who are bothering me. Maybe this can also help Jennifer or any other listener. I cheer to every first-time co-host. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm looking forward to every next episode. Take care and keep recording. Grateful Ruth. And uh, and thank you for that, that observation, Ruth. And I guess, you know, thinking about why did I say I want to, uh, you know, sort of turf that topic over to Mark is because, you know, I've I've heard about dry drunk and I probably have observed it, but I don't feel that I have a real understanding of it. I had never lived with sort of dry drunk for very long. 
And uh, and so I felt like, well, I'm not sure I have much to say about this. And so let's see what um, what the alcoholics have to say, if any of them have experience with it. And that was sort of my thinking. Um, and, uh, you know, there's another way to do it, which is, is to put it out to you. So if you have lived with somebody that you consider maybe was a dry drunk, uh, you know, share your experience. And if I get, if I can get that from two or three or four people, I can make an episode out of that with your experience. And, you know, that's one of the ways that I keep this going is, is I, I need, I need your input. I need your experience and strength and hope. I need your ideas. I can't do this on my own. I can't do the Al-Anon program on my own, and I can't do the podcast on my own. I can do the mechanics. You know, I can do the recording. I can do the editing. I can do the, the posting it on the web. But I can't have all the experience, strength, and hope. I can't have all the ideas coming out of just my head. It's so much, it's so much more powerful when you contribute. So please do. I got a voicemail from Ada. She had a question about a topic, really. And about uh, whether that topic had been covered. Hi, Recovery Show. First of all, I just want to thank you for having this um, this show. I really enjoy it, and I really learn a lot from it. Uh, my, my name is uh, Ada, and I just um, wondered if there was any specific show that you had ever done on criticism and how we can deal with criticism in a, in a better way, in a more constructive way, criticism from the alcoholic or from any, anyone else in our lives. I think growing up with alcoholism or living with alcoholism, we've all kind of internalized all these uh, voices um, that criticize us and our self-worth. And I think that probably, well, at least for me, has affected my self-esteem. And so I'd like to know if there's uh, any any uh, show that you've done specifically on that or if um, maybe uh, we can have a, a, a show on that and how to deal with um, our internal critic and, you know, other people's criticism of us. Thanks. And, uh, and Ada, you know, we haven't really talked directly, I think, about criticism and, and particularly about, about self-criticism, which, except that I probably talk about it in every episode, but just because I suffer from it. The uh, the episode that is probably most relevant that at least I could um, think of right now is episode 36, which was about self-acceptance and self-esteem. So why don't you check that out, and uh, I will think about putting together a topic on, on being critical about whether it's other people criticizing us or us criticizing ourselves and how how the program can help us to to deal with that. We got an email from Suzanne. She writes, Spencer, your podcast has become so much part of my program. I felt feel compared to share on the episode. I think she was writing about, sorry, I didn't get the subject line here. I think she was writing about the uh, Tradition 12 episode. Said, I reached my two-year Al-Anon anniversary in December. I feel like I have received multiple spiritual awakenings. I'm able to do this because I have learned how to pray, talk with my higher power, and meditate. Listen, my mind is no longer filled with chaotic pulses, so being at peace allows me to receive awakenings, i.e. aha moments. In listening to this episode, I wanted to share my experience of Alanon and Alateen and my children. When my husband and I first separated, my son would live with his dad one week and me the next week. I told my son, 
18 at the time, that he was required to attend three Al-Anon meetings with me if he was going to live with me. The one meeting we both attended, he was given the How Al-Anon Works book, which he wanted no part of. After the meeting, he went to his dad's and told him he never wanted to go back. My higher power was completely orchestrating this event because it was the gifting of this book that taught me so much about Al-Anon. As I continued in the program, I learned it was attraction, not promotion, and knew I was wrong, so I lifted the meeting requirement. The program taught me how to parent my adult son by allowing him to make his own choices and his own mistakes. What I did learn was how to love him and pray for him daily. Last summer, he went back to church, and we have really developed a wonderful relationship. He still does not attend Al-Anon, but he asked me recently how I was able to change the way I treated him. I told him it was Al-Anon. My daughter lives with me. She was 16 when our family separated. I had friended her the money for concert tickets, which she had to work off. So I told her if she went to three Al-Anon Alateen meetings, that would pay for the tickets. Alateen clicked for her after the first meeting. She reached her two-year anniversary this past January. She has spoken twice in Al-Anon meetings, as well as attending the Oregon Alateen Conference held in August. Al-Anon Alateen has allowed both of us to heal from a lot of the trauma and abuse that came our way. We both feel it has saved our lives. She is looking at going away to college in a year and is investigating to be sure there will be Al-Anon meetings available. Al-Anon has taught me how to listen to her so she knows she is heard. And of course, I pray for her daily as well. I will be a grateful member of Al-Anon for life. I have three siblings and my husband has four siblings with many alcoholics on both sides. Yet I am the only one that has found Al-Anon, so I am grateful that my children can witness how Al-Anon has changed me. I am showing them another tool for this insane legacy of alcoholism in our family. Again, thank you so much for your podcasts. They provide me meetings when my work-life schedule is so full that I can only make my Friday night home group. Blessings to you, Suzanne. Thanks, Suzanne, for for sharing that experience. I got a, a voicemail from Akila. Um, about the uh, about the uh, episode of letting go of the process. Hey, Spencer, it's Akila. I was calling in about the letting go of the process episode, which I just finished listening to. My comment was actually directed towards the person who wrote in requesting um, an episode about adult children of alcoholics. I think that would be awesome. I am an adult child of alcoholics. And that's why I'm in program. Like I mentioned before, I did not come into the program when I lived with active alcoholism. I came into the program because living with my child felt like I was living at home when I was a kid. And when I went to therapy, that's when I found out. The um, therapist told me to read the book that the, the gentleman mentioned, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics by Janet Voices. And when I read that book, it was fine. I was like, this is my whole life. I went into it thinking that none of the topics would apply to me. I was like, whatever, I'll read it because she told me to, but none of this relates to my life. And then when I finished, I was like, only one and a half of those things don't relate to my life. So it is, I mean, the effects of disease, when I get around my parents and stuff, I see how we all act the same. And when they talk about alcoholism being really this, um, it's not even so much the alcoholism, but the behaviors associated with it that makes it a family illness in terms of um, effects of growing up and likelihood of whatever. I'm sorry, I'm getting off track, but it, it is a lot of behavior and unlearning of behavior. So I fully support that as a topic. I will be willing to contribute in any way that you 
see fit. And I thank the person for writing it and recommending that book. And I would suggest anyone else who lives with an adult child, check it out because we're crazy. Thanks. Bye. And then she wrote uh, an email afterwards saying, uh, Spencer, a couple of points to add to my voicemail. One, I shouldn't have ended it by saying we adult children of alcoholics are crazy. I meant sick. We are sick because of living with alcoholism. And two, let it go from frozen is actually a pretty accurate summation of my experience growing up in an alcoholic home. In fact, when I first saw that movie, I felt like Elsa was telling my life. And I super relate to that song, especially because of the whole conceal don't feel thing. And that though she is saying she doesn't care in the movie, she has actually run away to live in a giant ice castle of her own making to keep people from hurting her anymore and herself from hurting other people. So yes, the character of Elsa from Frozen is telling my life story. And three, I think, I'm not sure if I asked you this before. I know you have recovery related books linked to Amazon on the website. Would you be interested in linking to recovery-related movies or TV shows, Akila? And in answer to that last question, absolutely, Akila. Uh, it's you know the whole thing is what I can what I can focus on. What I've got on the website is the things I can focus on, and uh, I I guess I don't have time to focus on on that aspect of it. But yeah, uh, if you get recommendations, please, I can uh, I can put up a, a movies and TV shows page or something like that. So let me know. And anybody else, if you're listening and you've got your favorite recovery movie, um, let's get it up there. You know, maybe we maybe we can link to some place you can play it online, or maybe we can at least mention it so you can. I don't know. I, they don't have video stores anymore, so I don't know how do you find how do you find movies that that you can't stream. I mean, it's like <laughs> there's, there's got to be a way to do it. I guess you can buy the DVD somewhere or Blu-ray or whatever it is these days. Huh. I also got an email from Lynn. Lynn writes. Hi, Spencer and co-hosts. My experiences of parenting in an alcoholic family. For years, I would try and hide my loved one's drinking. I would get up in the night and get my loved one to bed and clean up the mess so the children would not see it. Each day, I would come home from work and recount to my alcoholic the misdemeanors from the night before. In Al-Anon, I learned this was not helpful. In fact, it was making things worse. I have been in the program for nearly two years. I still regard myself as a newcomer. Alanon has given me tools to talk to my children about alcoholism. I need to be mindful not to overdo it. When the opportunity comes for a conversation about alcoholism from my children, then I can talk about it. I also listen a lot to their concerns and disappointments. Even tonight, I used the slogan just for today when my son was worrying about the future. Often, I think of all the amends my loved one has to make to our children. I pull myself up and now know this is not helpful. One day, I will make amends for the times I have complained about my loved one, drawing the children into the situation. My loved one is still drinking. On a couple of occasions, I have had my children stay at a friend's place just to give them some respite when the house situation was unmanageable. I know I can only do my best with the help of my higher power and my Al-Anon family. I know I am not alone, and my example of loving detachment might show my children away. Lynn from Australia, 32 degrees and sunny. And uh, I'm jealous, Lynn. When she says 32 degrees, she means Celsius, which is significantly warmer than the uh, the 32 degrees that I wish the temperature would get up to today. Um, it's started out this morning 10 below Fahrenheit, which um, I don't know what that is. Celsius, like 25 below or something crazy. Uh, and uh, it's supposed to get up uh, 
into the single digits. So uh, it's been a little cold here recently. 32 degrees and sunny sounds really nice for right now. Um, and and thanks for your, your, your sharing there, Lynn. And one of the things that I, I hear in your, in your letter is the way that you're open, at least now, uh, to your children about what's going on. Because, you know, children know when something's not right in the family. And whether they, they understand what it is or not, I think that if we can be honest and open with them, um, it, it can validate their experience. Um, it can help them feel like they're okay, that what they're experiencing is real, um, and that it's not their fault. Um, so keep it out. Keep on keeping on. Keep on with the program, and uh, it's tough. I know it is. Well, thank you for listening, and it doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses. They run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Harriet did. Thank you, Harriet, for your support this week. We have a list, as Keela mentioned, we have a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of the page, uh, we got Al-Anon books, we got AA books, we've got stories about living in alcoholism or addiction and about recovery. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff there. If you have a favorite uh, recovery book that's not there, let us know. If you buy one of these books from Amazon, we get a small commission. If you click on the link from the webpage, and uh, actually anything you buy from Amazon after clicking on that link or the Donate by Shopping link will uh, will help us uh, to, uh, to stay on the air. We'll help defray our expenses. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Maybe you tell your friends about us. Maybe you just listen, which is, believe it or not, support. We are here for you. The last song that I selected to go with this episode is One Life by James Morrison. And again, uh, these are the lyrics, some of the lyrics that spoke to me in this song. Just let it be what it is. Because it's so easy to say, if I knew yesterday what I know today, where would I be tomorrow? I won't let my soul slide away. I'll do whatever it takes. Because this time's only borrowed. I got one life, one life, one life, and I'm going to live it. And to me, that speaks to when I'm present in life, I'm living it. Um, I'm not letting my soul slide away. Um, and I'm not worrying about if I knew yesterday what I know today where I would be tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. We did not talk about a problem you are facing today. Feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.